and welcome to the Psych in Business podcast, where we highlight the integration of psychology and psychological principles into the world of business and organizations. I'm your host, Dr. Ernest Wade. I'm pretty excited about my guest today because she's one of my dear friends from the great group of friends that I made while I was in graduate school at the University of Alabama. Roll Tide! She's an impressive lady with a great sense of humor, and it's just one of the most genuinely caring people that I know. She's also data savvy, and she's going to be talking to us today about the importance of data and evaluation in the workplace. Now, this is important because, as I and other guests have mentioned before, psychology is actually a data-driven field. We actually develop, test, and establish principles, theories, and the like with research and data. So I'm really excited to have my guest, Dr. Cassie Eno, talk about it today. Dr. Eno is the Assistant Dean for Evaluation and Analytics at Creighton University School of Medicine and is an Assistant Professor in the Department of Medical Education. Dr. Eno holds a PhD in Social Psychology from the University of Alabama. Her career is a perfect representation of the intersection of her training as a social psychologist and her professional experiences in curriculum assessment and evaluation in the context of medical education. Cassie also teaches on implicit bias and has authored and presented numerous medical education presentations and publications. Cassie is also a researcher with interests in numerous areas, including leadership disposition. Cassie, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so excited to have you here because as I mentioned, you're going to be talking about data and I love data. Right? And I think it's such an important part of what we do in psychology and in the workplace. So I'm really super excited for you to, to share that with us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Awesome. Now, before we get into that, I really just want to start with talking a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about uh, you know how you got into your position and, and how you got connected in the in the the world of medical education. Yeah. So like many things in life, I've had a lot of things happen by happenstance, right? So I came out of graduate school expecting to be a traditional academic. I was going to teach at a liberal arts school. You know, I'd be there for 30, 40 years and then I'd retire. Um, well, as life has a, a tendency to do, um, you know, I've taken some turns. So I think I first started in evaluation work um, during my second year of my uh, first position right out of graduate school. And the dean came in and said, hey, um, we've never evaluated the psychology program before, and we need to hmm. because we have an accreditation visit coming up. And you're the faculty member here. So good <laughs> luck. I'd like to have it in a few months. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of fell into it by chance and quickly realized, you know, I had a whole tool bag that helped support that work. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, like any good researcher, I went to the APA to see what I could take from them. Um, and then it's, you know, at that point was I came to quickly realize it was kind of about alignment. Right. So mm -hmm. what are we trying to get? Where are we trying to get students? What metrics do we have that we can look at and determine if they're getting there? Um, what things can we do to improve? So there's always this kind of continuous quality improvement piece that comes with evaluation. Um, so I kind of fell into that um, and then left that position for a number of reasons, um, including some small children coming into my life. Mm -hmm. And when I went kind of back into the workforce, I really just wasn't sure I wanted to do the traditional academic route, but didn't really know what else there was out there. So uh, turns out the world of evaluation and 
analytics is live and well out there, mm -hmm. um, both in the corporate setting and the educational setting. So I applied to Creighton University School of Medicine. Um, they had a data analysis position and I was like, great, I'll go there, I'll figure out life for a little bit and then I'll move on. Um, well, eight years later, <laughs> I guess I'm either still figuring out life or I like it here quite a lot. Um, so I started out, like I said, in medical education, just kind of by happenstance, there was a position in the MD program. Um, I took that position. Um, and then I started again, this was another place where kind of my tool bag right. just opened itself up. Um, and I can talk, do you want me to talk a little bit more specifically about what I do? Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about what you do, especially because I know you work in medical school education and, and I mean, education itself is big business and medical school, no less. So tell us about what you do in terms of evaluations and data analysis and stuff like that. Sure. So where I started, like I said, was in the MD program and, um, kind of to your point, all of the, prof in the professional kind of education world, most places have specialized accreditation. Most programs have some sort of specialized accreditation that they have to meet. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of what accreditors want to see is what do you expect your students to know? How do you know that they're learning that? Um, and so there's kind of this big evaluation component in terms of learning. Mm -hmm. um, and so I kind of started there. And then as I kind of continued to work at the School of Medicine, um, there became this recognition that there's so much more to evaluation and analytics that could happen, mm -hmm. right? So things like continuous quality improvement, strategic planning, um, some of those areas. So I kind of started to dabble in those areas and pretty quickly, um, the administration of the School of Medicine realized, hey, we shouldn't have the skill set kind of isolated in the MD program. Mm -hmm. Let's open it up to all of our programs. So now a lot of the work that I do is in kind of trying to gather data, get it in a good visualized presentation. Mm -hmm. I can talk a little bit about that. Um, and then it goes to administrative groups, either for strategic planning to say, hey, how are we doing on our strategic planning process? Or what are our kind of baseline metrics so that we can grow our diversity in our organization or um, things like that. And then um, our the office that I'm a part of is um, also includes continuous quality improvement. Mm -hmm. So we've created a number of kind of dashboards for our administration that demonstrate where we are on kind of key areas that the organization is trying to move in. So so let me ask, so what what kind of data are you evaluating? What kind of data are you collecting? And why is that important to the the decision makers that you mentioned? Sure. So it, it varies across. So we have all sorts of educational outcome data. And when I was working specifically for the MD program, that's mostly where I was working at. Um, but some of the data that I'm working with now also just has to do kind of with our organizational culture. So um, our med school, not unlike other med medical schools, we don't necessarily specifically employ our faculty, right? We work with a lot of clinicians across the um, areas where we serve students and simple things in that kind of circumstance when we don't have the employment data for the folks who are working with our students, things like um, diversity mm -hmm. become even a challenge to gather and to cr 
kind of create. So it's a lot of um, cooperation also with our health system partners to say, hey, we just need to understand we're committed to diversity, but right now we can't even measure it. Yeah. So how do we work with our health system partners to get their HR data matched up with our HR data, matched up with our Phoenix partner, mm -hmm. uh, clinical partner data? So a lot of it is um, just trying to even understand basic things about the organization. Yeah, I, I love I love what, how you're describing data there and some of the challenges with data because you know I love data and one of the things about data is how do you make it uh, helpful, right? How do you make it make sense? How do you collect it and organize it in a way that that's helpful to other people so that they can use it to make decisions and things like that? Um, can you give us some examples of some of the data sets that you've collected and, and how people have used that? So. Um... We have, and I again, I will not take credit for all of this. I have a, a team that works with me um, that's very skilled and very talented. I'm fortunate to have. But one of the big things that we um, are looking at now, like just like you said, is kind of data visualization. Mm -hmm. So very simple things. I'll give you an example. So our um, PA program was up for accreditation. And anyone who has kind of worked in the accreditation space, a lot of times the creditors just say, we need this data in this format across yeah you know, your cohorts of students. And so we worked with the program to create an accreditation dashboard, which essentially took every part of those accreditation requirements and said, okay, you have to have data on the sufficiency of your resources. We pooled all of that data together. We put their program benchmark for that data and then displayed it across the years so that for the faculty who are working on the accreditation, what they're really getting to do is spend their time in interpretation and analysis mm -hmm. of the data and understanding of the data. They're not spending their time, you know, knitting together spreadsheets and mm -hmm. doing that kind of work. Mm -hmm. So we try to then get it to a visual space that helps them. So another example would be um, they had a benchmark for of all their clinical preceptors. So that could be 100 or 200 faculty they've got some benchmarks around student evaluations of those folks that'll kind of set off a red flag to say, hey, we should probably be looking closely at this faculty. He's not getting good evaluations. And so we can take, rather than a spreadsheet that lists, you know, 100 to 200 faculty in their average evaluation rating, mm -hmm. we put that into a chart. We put the benchmark in there so you can quickly see and identify the data points to say, okay, these three data points are below the metric. Mm -hmm. And then what, um, one of my analysts will do is put a little hover over that'll say, you can click on that point and it'll say, hey, this Professor X has a score of, you know, 2.4 out of four. That might be concerning. Yeah. Um, so we can really leverage the data. Um, and it always has to be a partnership, right? So we spend a lot of time talking with folks about what are the decision points that you want to make mm -hmm. using this data? Mm -hmm. And then we kind of reverse engineer what the display looks like based on the decisions that folks want to make. Yeah, I love the way that you're describing that. It reminds me of when I was uh, director of data and evaluation. Uh, that was very similar to what we would do. We take the data and we would we would make it make sense for for the audience, but we needed context, right? We needed the, the context from the audience to help interpret the data. And then it would always be in terms of how do you want to make use this data in terms of decision making? So, for example, the, the example that you gave uh, with the professor what do we need to do to help this professor with their with improve their score? So always using it to help um, to help the, the the people that we're working with to to improve upon their processes or whatever it is that they're doing. So the other thing I want to ask about Cassie is you mentioned earlier that you had this tool set, this toolkit, right? And we know that you're trained as a social psychologist. So tell us a little bit about how 
that training included the use of data and analytics and how you've been able to leverage that in the way that you have? Yeah, so sure. I think some of it's some more obvious training, right? So we had we did a lot of statistics training. We did a lot of research methods training. Mm-hmm. And I, in particular, again, felt like I was going on a more traditional academic route. So I wanted to get as much of that training as I could because I wanted to be kind of prepared um, to do research and to do things, which I'm fortunate to still get to do in this role. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the things, honestly, the more social psychological principles around things like message framing um, and kind of social influence, how do we get folks to listen to mm-hmm. what we're trying to tell them? How do we match the message um, to kind of the argument or the concerns that folks have? Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, you know, that kind of robust research methods training with some statistics. Um, and I will say, you know, a couple of years out from graduation, um, I always have a statistician on my team who is much more skilled than I am because statistics uh, has morphed so quickly and so fast. Yeah. And um, I've got a, a person on my team now who's doing machine learning. Mm. Um, which I can conceptually understand, but cannot uh, personally do. Um, And I think AI is going to introduce even more to that Mm -hmm. um, kind of interest there. Um, But I think it's, it's both the, the quantitative qualitative skills, but also just kind of how do we get people to listen to information? How do we persuade people um, using information? Yeah, I love what you're you're highlighting there because I think, as you've mentioned before, there are other people who are uh, have more expertise in, in data and analytics. But where the psychology training comes in is it's not just the understanding of the data and analytics; it's also the understanding of hey, we've got to make this um, we've got to make this understandable to our audience, right? And so, how do we make this something that the audience is able and willing to listen to and, and able and willing to to understand? So that they can use it, right? Because if you have just the data and you just present data, that's not very helpful. You've got to turn it into information and present it in a way that the audience is, is able and willing to take that information. Yeah. And I always like to tell folks, so when we present, sometimes we're presenting to large groups of faculty, um, the data will say, look, we have the data, but you have the story. Mm-hmm. So we're going to show you what the data looks like, but there's going to be instances where we might see what we would consider some sort of abnormality or something. Yeah. But I want to hear from you why that might be. So I think it's always important to incorporate whoever your stakeholders are in the presentation, in the discussion. Mm-hmm. Now, so I want to ask you a little bit about some of that research that you do and things like that. So yeah. I know that you're, uh, you know, your research, one of your research areas is in implicit bias and you also do some work with leaders. Tell us a little bit about some of that work that you do. So um, in general, again, kind of just falling into the medical education space and having this skill set, I've had the opportunity to work with a ton of collaborators kind of across the medical education space. Mm -hmm. And I think probably more generally, I would say, you know, if there's some sort of educational intervention or some sort of educational program, um, we would be looking to see kind of what the impact or benefit of that is. So in the leadership space, I've helped to kind of do a program evaluation for, I wouldn't say leadership intervention, but a leadership curriculum Mm -hmm. um, that was being delivered to our students, uh, talking about leadership, not as an outcome, but as a practice and as a profession. Mm. Um, 
So physicians by nature, right, have authority. When you put on a white coat, regardless of whether you have an MD degree behind your name or not, mm -hmm. and you walk into a patient's room, you, you have authority. Mm -hmm. So um, I have a great colleague who does a lot of um, leadership training with our students that actually looks a lot like social psychological theory. Mm. So what does group think look like in the clinic? What does um, kind of social loafing look like in a clinic space? Um, and so I've done some of that. And then um, most recent article that we're pretty proud of is um, we have a humanities curriculum that we deliver to all of our medical students. Um, many programs are starting to recognize now that humanities are important. Mm -hmm. um, but then they'll integrate in like a couple of sessions, like we'll teach you how to be a humanistic doctor in two hours. Um, <laughs> and that's just not quite how it works. Um, so some, again, some very um, great colleagues that I work with helped to design this humanities curriculum. And we did a program evaluation of that and what it showed. Um, I think it's so interesting the way that you describe how it happens in the medical setting it also happens in the business world, because a lot of the time you have these people who are clinically excellent, you know, or technically excellent at what they do, but they never received any leadership training, you know, but then they're elevated to leadership positions, or as you said, just being a physician, just by, by mere fact of being that MD, you are seen as a leader, but you're never trained on how to lead yourself or people. Uh, and so I, I really appreciate that you're, you're putting that into the curriculum and the trainings. Yeah. And then with the humanities training, kind of the same idea, but on the other side of things, right? So we're also never taught how to watch a patient die mm -hmm. or how to be with a patient when they're making their final transition, mm -hmm. you know, out of this life. And so there are some important topics on that side about, you know, what does it look like to be a doctor and a human? Um, yeah, I, I love that. And I think because of your, your, your training in social psychology, right, that makes you really an, an expert in being able to help people and how to engage in that. Tell us a little bit about, more about social psychology, what that is and, and uh, what you really enjoy about that. So um, how would I even describe it? Goodness. Uh, so social psychology is really just looking at how humans interact mm -hmm. how humans behave under certain kind of psychological or societal conditions. So I think the way that I utilize it most now um, and I honestly, I didn't realize this until probably five or six years into my career. People kept asking me to go and work with challenging people. And I shouldn't say challenging people, people who had presented a challenge to other folks like, hey, they didn't want to listen to me. Will you go talk to them? Or, hey, they didn't want to do X, Y, or Z. Would you go talk to them? And I was just kind of like, oh, I guess it's just because you're the junior person, right? Like, hey, you go talk to X we'll figure and it out. something out. Um, but what I realized is, you know, that that just general disposition to look at different perspectives in a situation mm -hmm. um, is really a skill set in the in the kind of workspace that I didn't even recognize mm -hmm. for many years. Um, you know, so much of conflict management and conflict resolution just has to do with how do I understand the perspectives of person A? How do I understand the perspectives of person B? And then how do I understand the organizational kind of dynamics that might be creating or influencing or having some sort of impact here. Um, so again, a lot of the work that I've ended up doing has to do with, you know, hey, we need this process, but two different groups have an idea on how, what we should do, mm -hmm. meet with them. 
So I think it, I mean, I find it fun. Yeah. Um, Cause at the end of the day, your goal is to come up with a solution that everybody can kind of be happy with, but also feel like they've had input on. So I think just that general kind of outlook on life that like, there's not necessarily always a right answer. There could be two right answers. How do we merge those answers? How do we, um, I think one of the interesting things about kind of, you know, I hate to blame things on COVID, but we all lived through that. Mm-hmm. We've all had some sort of stressful experiences as a result. Um, and so I spend a lot more time in my work nowadays thinking about kind of culture and team culture and how do I build a team that folks want to work on. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think Cassie, so- you, you've, you've honestly got the best job ever because you've using your psychological training and you're using it to help you with, uh, you know, how, how do you interact and engage with people? Uh, how do you build teams that can work effectively? You're using it to help you analyze and evaluate data, which helps the people that you work with. And also, you know, a lot of the time when we talk about humans, we're talking about the research and, and, and analysis of how humans behave. And that's all data focused, right? That's all data driven. I really think you've got the best world. I mean, the best job with the best of all of these worlds. I like it. Yeah. Um, if I could have designed a job, this is pretty close to what it would have looked like, I yeah. suppose. That's that's a pretty sweet job. So, yeah. Cassie, how do people get a hold of you? If people want to you know, reach out and, and ask for help or just want to chat, how do people get a hold of you? So I'm terribly far behind on the social media train, but folks can reach out to me at my email address, which is just my first name, Cassie, dot last name, Eno at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you. Now, Cassie, before I let you go, I always want to take advantage of the experts that I have on the show and say, you know, what advice or what tip do you have for uh, leaders, organizations, educational units out there that you would be willing to share? Got one more data-driven and one more people-driven. So (laughs) the data-driven side is just to know where your contributions lie, know what you're contributing, be able to measure it, be able to demonstrate it, Mm -hmm. um, and be able to share that with your stakeholders. Um, So always know kind of where those contributions lie. Mm -hmm. And the second is always just hire fantastic people. Um, I have told my team on multiple occasions, once folks make it to the interview stage, we know they're probably competent to do the job. Mm-hmm. So hire for fit at that point, because the folks that you work with have so much of an impact on how you are able to succeed. Um, and as we have experienced and to pull a bit from social influence, one bad apple really can yeah. uh, take down the tree. So I love both of those. I mean, you're, first one you're talking about data, you know, you're talking about data and you're talking about, the value proposition, right? Be able to 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 demonstrate the value that you have in whatever setting that you that you're that you're working with, especially to your stakeholders. So I, I love that. And then the second one you're talking about is is really the people. I always say people are the most important resource of any organization, and that comes from having good people. If you have good people, you can train them, you can figure things out. But it's it's, it's having good people. So I, I love that advice. That's really awesome. Well, Cassie, thanks for coming on the show. It's been so awesome having you on. Uh, I, I want to be respectful of your time, so I'm going to let you go. But I think we're definitely going to have to have you come back and talk a little bit more about your research. I think social psychology is such an interesting topic, especially because you're talking about how people engage and interact in different settings. And we know that you know work can be stressful, and, and there's multiple different settings at work. So I would love to hear more about some of the research that you've done there. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. Awesome. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.